So continuing on, our salvation that we're hoping for, it's not permanent here unless we overcome and endure to the end. Now go to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ. Who? Those who are born again. Those who are led of the Spirit. The ones that the Lord has regenerated. And by faith they've accepted him and he's accepted them. If that word cannot be removed. Always look at the ifs, ands, and the buts. They're conditions. If is a condition. So we are partakers of Christ. If, okay, let's find out what the condition is. If we hold the beginning of our faith, the confidence, that's what it means, steadfast to the end. So if you don't stay with Christ to the end, you're not going to be partaker of Christ. And you're going to have no future in heaven. See, He says, so you have Christ now. But only if you hold on to him to the end will it be permanent. This is what he's talking about. Partakers of Christ, you're in the vine now. And if we hold on till the end, we have him, permanent salvation. If we continue in faithfulness to the Lord until the end of our life here, then we have salvation. Now, part of the Christian foundations, let's go back and see this in Hebrews 6, is repentance from dead works, that mean evil works, and faith toward God, okay? People don't like reading this. They need to study it. If one is practicing gross sin, his faith and belief and confession is worthless, what does it say? If he's in Christ and he even has the foundation, he's born again and Christ is in him and he's being led of the Spirit, he has repentance from dead works. This is what James is talking about. He has spiritual works. And if he does it and he's not doing this, all of his confession and faith toward God is vain and don't work. See? That's why James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. But he said, you that claim Christian faith will save you. And he said, if it ain't no spiritual works, is it no obedience or fruitfulness, you got the wrong faith. And you won't keep the right faith if you have it, okay? So this is what we're talking about. So being a real Christian, there must be repentance from dead works. People think that's the one-time experience. No, that's the lifestyle. We keep the dead man dead. We put him down, put to death the works of the flesh by the Spirit. The Spirit helps us. Repentance, you turn your back on dead works, sin, evil. That's what he's talking about. That's a part of being a real Christian. If you're not doing that, if you were a Christian, you're not going to last long. Faith has been given to you in vain, and you could be cut off from the vine if you don't produce these things, okay? So if one is practicing the wicked sins that Paul talks about, he can claim to be a Christian all he wants. He can say, I was baptized, I confessed, I see Jesus. All that is worthless. It has no valid place in the present. So your past experiences don't mean nothing if you don't abide in Christ. 
to Paul kept saying, we've entered the race. And then he talks about finishing the race. If you don't finish the race, that's too bad. You don't win. You have to start the race, continue the race, and finish the race. That's how it is, okay? Go over briefly to James 2.24, the ones that all the heretics hate. Well, see, uh, many of the Calvinistic, you want saved, always saved people, they're like Luther. They don't believe the book of James and Revelation and Hebrews is part of Scripture. Well, they're heretics. And no wonder they don't, because it refutes their damnable doctrines. So what does he say? They can't handle this. You see, then, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That refutes all of their Faith alone, grace alone teaching. Because James says it's not so. See, when he's talking about the works, he's not talking about man's works. He's not talking about pharisaical works or Catholic rituals. He's talking about fruitfulness, obedience, and following the Lord. That's what he means by spiritual works. Okay. So he's saying, if you don't have that, you don't have the true faith. You forfeited it. Okay. So it's nothing wrong with him and Paul. They get along. They just express things a little differently from different sides so we can see it. Paul expressed it beautifully. We went through that. He said, shall we continue in sin because we're under grace? And he said, may it never happen. He said, don't you know that whomever you obey, that's who your master is. He didn't say much about grace, did he? He said, whoever you are obeying, if you obey righteousness and Christ, he said, you'll have eternal life. He said, if you obey wickedness and evil, your end is death. So he leaves it up to them. So he doesn't give no excuse. He never once says, once saved, always saved. He never says, because you're in grace, you can't get out of grace. A couple of times he said, you've forfeited the grace. He said, you've become disqualified. Perhaps you believed in vain. He, he, he some clear words there that they don't like to emphasize. They say, oh, he's just being like in Hebrews. They're really not going to fall away. He's just saying, if they, that's garbage. That's the demon lying to them and telling them to believe a lie. And that's why you waste your time with a lot of these people. They're not open. The Holy Spirit's not going to like them. And if they teach lies and heresies, they will be confirmed and deception further and further. That's God's principle. So faith alone, lip confession, no belief. We have to believe to obey and follow. That's what the word believe means. The 60 roughly times in the Gospel of John, when he talks about belief and belief, and belief it's a belief that conforms. It's not a mental ascent alone. And that's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you to do? Because he's telling you, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm not your Lord. See, he makes it very plain to those who want the truth. But if you want to believe heresy and lies, God will let you do it. And then judgment day, you will weep and gnash your teeth when you figure out what happened. Sin deceives people. It distorts their spiritual thinking. We wonder sometimes how such brilliant intellectual people can be deceived when it comes to Christianity. That's how. It's a spiritual thing. Okay. 25. 
But if we hope for what we do not see, what are we hoping for that we do not see and we do not have in the present? Final salvation, our complete salvation, our transformation, our fixed in God and not movable. We're fixed in him. That's in the future. So if we hope for final salvation, then with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So if you're hoping for final salvation, you better be enduring and persevering with the Lord. You better be resisting sin and not following the devil and not be self-seeking and living your own life. You have to persist in the things of God. You have to be led of the Spirit. You have to obey the Lord. That's what we have to persist in. That's what we have to persevere if we expect final salvation. But if you don't do that and persevere or endure, you will not get final salvation. So we are hoping for this permanent final salvation in the future. We expect his coming for us, knowing that that will happen at that time, those who are alive. We endure and persevere in our probation. People don't like that word probation, see? Because it means testing, proving. And God has the right to do that and will do that with all moral creatures. He will test us. He tested Jesus. Jesus was led into wilderness to be, one translation says tempted, but that's true, but to be tested by the Lord. The Lord set him in there the spirit, and the devil was waiting for him. It was God's plan that he overcoming. But the devil did the tempting for evil, but God sent him in there. And the scripture says that when he overcame these things after 40 days and everything, this great trial, he came down in the power of the spirit, and immediately he started preaching the kingdom and casting out devils. See, because he defeated the devil, during the great time of temptation. So anybody, any spirit under the devil is weaker than the devil, so they have to obey him. The devil's the king of the demons. He's their God, the God of this world. So when he defeated Satan, every other demon had to be subject to him. So he started casting them out. But he didn't do this until he was tested for 40 days, until he passed the test. And so we're going to be tested, and we're going to remain faithful if we want to, and we're going to yield to God's help the same as Christ did. He yielded to the Holy Spirit as a man. He did not do any of these resisting temptations because he was God. That would be foolish of God, a mockery. There would be no temptation if he was tempted as God. It was the man's side that was tempted. And when he put on the human nature, his divine nature, he had the, the power of the divine nature. He could not use it. That was part of the temptation. He had the ability to use it, and he could not. He had to submit to the Father as a man, as a prophet, as a man of God. He had to submit to the Holy Spirit. And remember, it was after he was baptized, immediately he was set into the wilderness. He was given the power of the Spirit for a purpose, 
to overcome and to defeat him practically. And he had to do this. So when people, I, they tell me, and I say, you're, you're a foolish person. Paul and James called stupid Christians fools. And they are. He had no tolerance with the stupidity when they blatantly don't understand Scripture and don't even try to find out what it means. He called them fools. Jesus called his disciples fools at times when they were hard-handed and they didn't follow him. Uh-huh. So Jesus was not tempted as God. He was tempted as man. And the Father, as Jesus said, when the Son came and took on the human nature, he said, the Father has given him life as the Father has life in himself. So see, it was the the divine nature being tested. It was this new life of the God Christ, the Christ human. See, he could yield to one or not. But his human nature had to obey completely. And because he had no original sin, he was perfect. And he had to walk that way and abide in the Holy Spirit. And everything he did, he did by the Spirit in him. People think, well, he did this and this because he was God. No, he didn't. That's a lie. It would make God to be a mocker. Even a child could understand how stupid that is. Why would you send the devil to tempt him if he couldn't fail? The scripture implies, even though he tells us the future, the implication is he could have failed as a human, and he chose not to. He endured these things and overcame. It was not automatic with him. And therefore, he gives the victory to us. He did what Adam did not do. He's the second Adam. He was placed in a position without original sin. His father was God. His mother was Mary. He had the human divine nature. An original sin transferred from Adam. His father was not Adam. But the human nature came from Mary. And God combined these. So he had to resist temptation, or it's a big mockery makes a fool out of God to think we're that stupid to fall for something like that. Even the devil wouldn't fall for that. The devil tempted him because he wanted to make him fail, and that's what he tried to do. He did not succeed. Okay. First John 5, 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith. It's only used one time. It is astounding how many people use it out of context. And he, who is he that overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, believing to obedience, not mental ascent religion, overcomes. He's overcoming in the present he's talking about. He's not talking about the future. He said, who is born of God in the present tense? He lives by faith. The one that overcomes and believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he believes to follow. He trusts and obey, not mere lip service. Now, why would Jesus promise things to the Christian church in Revelation 3 if they had already overcome? They hadn't. Their final overcoming, that permanent salvation, is future. 
And each of the churches, he says what to them? We've seen it. Each one, he says, I know your works. He doesn't say, I know what you believe. I know that you trust me, and I'm the son of God, and I'm God. And he doesn't bring that up. He says, I know your works. Why? Because the spiritual works proves what they believe. And all of their confession don't mean nothing if they don't have spiritual works, if they don't have fruitfulness and obedience. So he knows the good works, and he knows the failures of the backslidden and of other ones in the church. He knows their works also, their dead works. So spiritual works, obedience, and fruit-bearing, this is what he's talking about. Without which, if you do not have, you have no future in heaven. Don't no one lie to you, as Peter said. Don't let them lie to you. He says to the Christian, he that overcomes future, you must continually and you must do it in the future, to the end. That's what he's talking about. To the end, final victory. Stay in Christ. Stay faithful. This is what he's talking about. That's what he says to every church. And he gives them promises if they overcome. The promises is not to them if they backslide. It's not to them if they don't stay in Christ. So all the promises of the seven churches, if you read them, they're literally for all Christians who overcome. He's specializing and revealing these things to the whole body of Christ. But if you read each promise, it applies to us if we overcome. All of those promises. They're not given. All things are ours. He provides everything for us. We inherit what Christ inherit as the overcoming man, as the perfect man yielded to God, okay? I read this often, and I want people to remember it often. I've done it even recently. Revelation 3, one of the promises to the churches applies to us is 12, and we've stated it recently. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. He's talking about permanent salvation. He'll make you pillar. You know, a pillar in a temple is fixed. It doesn't move. You won't go in or out once you're in there. And we talked about in the last lesson, but there is no temple in heaven. God is the temple and the Lamb. We are fixed in God. We will know him in a way that is not possible here. We will know him face to face, have an everlasting, eternal relationship. We're fixed in God. We cannot be unfixed if you overcome. Okay. So now in the present, we have eternal life. We are children of God if we stay in Christ the vine. That's the condition. Hereafter in heaven, we will have something revealed more than children of God. We will know him in a way we've never known. Now look at 1 John again. 1 John 3, another favorite scripture. People should read often. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God. That is true. We never dispute that. Now we have eternal life. That's true if we are being led of the Spirit, and we're following the Lord, okay? It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So when the mortal puts on immortality and we're transformed, we're going to be elevated to a state as angels, 
Jesus said, we'll be as angels. And it says that angels always behold the face of their Father in heaven. Wherever they're at, they're in God's full presence. See? It's not a locality. It's a Paul said that we live and move and have our being in God now, even the wicked. The whole universe he fills and sustains. But we don't have that covenant relationship and the final one until we get to heaven. But we know that when he is revealed, he's not revealed yet, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we'll be fixed in him. We'll have partakers of Christ. We'll be perfect. We'll have no desire for sin. We'll be just like God in that attribute. We will be holy, righteous, pure, never sinning, never willing to do opposite in God's will. We'll be in a relationship that we cannot fathom in this life. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. Heaven is not things. Heaven is in a person. It's in God himself. Okay. And everyone who has this hope, hope of salvation, hope of the second coming, hope of being changed, then everyone who has this hope in him and God in Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. Well, uh, that does away with the Christian has to sin every day in word, thought, or deed. He says he purifies himself. He perseveres in holiness. He does what's necessary to put down the old and put on the new. He fights the warfare and runs the race. He stays in the pilgrimage. He endures steadfastly, and he walks in holiness because when the Lord returns, that's the only people he's coming for. And the scripture says that we will not be ashamed that is coming. The translation means disappointed. There are many, and most professing Christians are not going. And they think they're going to be raptured and escape the world. They're not going because they're not pure. They're not following the Lord. They're not walking in the Spirit. And so they're not going. Very plain and simple. So he makes it plain for us. Okay? So in heaven, we will be changed dramatically. And we have this hope of final salvation if we continue and walk in purity and holiness, just as he is pure and holy. People just read that scripture as if it's some mystical thing. But when God said, you be holy for I am holy, he meant it. Hebrews says, if we're not partakers of holiness, we'll not see the Lord. And that holiness was practical righteousness. It was not your position in Christ. It was not you seated on Christ's right hand while you're living like the devil down here. Uh-uh. It was to produce holiness, the chastening of the Lord. Those don't deal with certain things, then God starts to deal. He says, if we judge ourselves, Paul said, we will not be judged of the Lord. If we repent and confess and do what's right and make amends and whatever the Lord requires, then we're judging ourselves. But if we don't do it properly, the Lord takes it into hand. And he says it's grievous and it's sorrowful and it's not pleasant. He said, but that it will make us partakers of whole. He judges the sin and the error and the practicing 
because he knows if you continue in it, you're going to hell. So he judges it, and we have to conform to God's discipline. He says that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It causes you, if you're willing to do it, instead of being stubborn and willful, you yield to it. You stop doing what God doesn't like. And when you stop doing that and you submit to the Lord, you are in righteousness again. And he said, for without righteousness, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So the Lord's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. They're walking in the Spirit. They're keeping short accounts with the Lord. They're not letting things go on for days and months. Uh, People have told me many times, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not following the Lord. I said, you're a false Christian. You're on your way to hell. I purposely disturb them. I don't confirm them in Christianity. I challenge them like Paul says, perhaps you've been disqualified. Who did he say that to? The ones, he said, that have not repented. He said, perhaps you've been disqualified. Perhaps God's tired of dealing with you and you're no longer in him anymore. You've been disqualified from Christianity. That's what he means. He uses that word three times, and that's what it means. People say, oh, he'll just put you on the shelf. No, he won't. He'll cut you off from the vine. See? So stop making excuses. Like I say, people, they want to know what's the least they can do and still be a Christian. I tell them, you're not a Christian. You're not going to stay one because you're already revealing you have a wicked heart. You want to do the minimum daily requirement, your vitamin pill, but you want to live the best you can in this world. See, you revealed your nature. You don't have the new man ruling. The old man's still ruling. And the old man's afraid of judgment. So he's trying to make a deal. So when people tell me that, I said, well, you won't make it. And that shocks them. I said, that's all you're looking for. You haven't understood the kingdom. The new man delights in the things of God. And the old man doesn't. And your will has a choice to yield to which one it wants to. Okay. So we have this hope and we look for the Lord's coming if we're walking in purity and holiness. Most professing Christians aren't doing that. And they think they're going to escape the horror of the tribulation. They're not going to. Because they're not taking up the cross now. See, if you're taking up the cross daily, you're already dying to your will. You don't have to. They want a quick escape. They're not going to get it because they're not serving the Lord now. They're being deceived. Oh, I can't wait for the rapture. And they're living like the devil now as if they're special. Well, God has no special favorites. People think he has special. No, they're special only as they honor God and stay with God. Then they're in covenant with him. But if they think they're getting away with something that somebody else is said, they're fooling themselves. That's just arrogance and pride, okay? So with final salvation we hope for, we cannot see it. We cannot have it for it's the future. We will persevere and endure and overcome to the end as we wait for it. That's what it said. We're waiting for it, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus saying to his disciples, remember who he's talking about, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Well, if you're not doing that, you're not going to be raptured. If you're not doing that, you're not remaining in Christ. See, what is he saying? Let his deny his own will, his own desires, and preference for Christ. Take up the cross. When your will crosses God, your will dies. You say, okay, I choose to do it, Lord. It doesn't matter whether you like it or dislike it. You choose. It's a cross. It's a dying to it. The natural man don't want to do it. The old man definitely doesn't want to do it. But you make that decision. And you have to follow him. So if you're not practicing following the Lord, you need to question whether you're in the Lord. Very plain and simple. For whosoever desires to save his life, find his life. Finding your life is looking for happiness in this world. Finding your life is getting what you want and desire without considering God. What God's mind? What is God's mind in the matter? See, so many prosperity people, they're just seeking God's blessing so they can be blessed and live happily. They're tied up into materialism, and they're tied up in this world. They haven't set their mind on spiritual things. They want to live in this world. And they want God to bless them. Well, he's not going to do it. He's going to deceive them. Because covetousness and materialism is idolatry. And Paul said, no idolatry. He said, you know that no idolatry has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's the following of the Lord. We give up. We're his slave. See, people don't like to talk about that. A slave means you're owned. Everything you are, have, and is belongs to your master. And Paul said, though you're not, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. You belong to him. He makes it very plain. And professing Christians often forget this. They think the purpose of salvation is that God will bless them and make them happy. That's still self. They haven't understood anything, have they? So much for greasy, easy grace and faith. So much for lip service and mental ascent religion. It refutes all of that. We must abide in him, walking in the spirit, putting down the evil desires and temptations of the lower nature, the world, and the flesh. We are told to do it. And we are told that Christ gives us the ability, but we have to use the ability. In the same way, I don't know if we'll finish this verse, but we'll see. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep to be expressed. Okay? So if we hope and persevere in the Lord, the Holy Spirit helps us with our human weaknesses and it even can help us in our praying right. Many people's prayer is not good. It's not spiritual. We do not, in our own natural wisdom, know how to be spiritual. So we're deceased from our own wisdom and get wisdom from the Lord. So he gives grace and strength, and it's Christ in us. He is that spirit. So he will pray and groan for things and sometimes he'll enlighten our mind, and sometimes he will not. But Christ in us will intercede. He edits our human and our own desires so they are in God's will. 
See, many people are praying for stuff that God has no purpose in. He don't care. They're seeking for things and this and that, and they've not really pursued the Lord. Oh, they're trying to please the Lord to get something thereafter. They're like a child. I'll be good today. Now I get my reward. But it don't work that way. God does not answer prayers that are selfish and bless me prayers seeking what they want. See, because Christ is not in it. If he's in union with them, his purposes are considered. You're a slave. You're a joint heir. You should not be praying selfish things. See, that's where the Spirit helps us. So that nullifies 95% of even Christians praying. See, they're asking and they don't get it because they want to consume it on their own desires. They're not really seeking God's will. They're hoping God will do it for them. But doesn't happen. Verse 27. And he who searches the heart knows, the Father God searches the heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in him. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, not according to your will and your desires. Well, a lot of the prosperity people say, well, I couldn't get what I want. Why should I pray? Well, you shouldn't. You should live like the devil because you're going to hell anyway. You're an idolater, okay? Eat, drink, and be merry because your end's not going to be pleasant, okay? So what is he saying? The Father searches and looks at the human spirit that is in union with Christ and knows his will and thoughts. Christ knows this. The Spirit knows this. So he prays for us according to God's will for the believer, not asking selfish things, coveting things, and focusing on what I want. See, that nullifies most prayer, doesn't it? And a lot of Christians, they think if they be good and they try to be good, then God will give them this and give them that. They're still tied to the world. See? They're just trying to manipulate God. They're really not seeking. So as they're young and baby Christians, they're going to find out a lot of it's worthless. It's wood, hay, and stubble. And because they're babes and they're trying, but even novices, you do not put them in place of authority because they act according to the natural man. They don't have the Spirit guiding them. So all of their good intentions don't amount to nothing spiritually. God considers good intentions. But something non-spiritual cannot produce anything spiritual. If it's not a good tree, it can't produce good fruit. So a lot of these people that first come to the Lord, they will make it if they die as of by fire because they walk in holiness and try to obey the Lord. But on these other things, they're amiss. They haven't matured enough to discern spiritual things. And they shouldn't be a baby Christian for 10 or 20 years. Something's wrong with them. God has no retarded children. If you're still a baby after 10 or 20 years, something's wrong with you. Nothing wrong with the Father. He doesn't have spiritually retarded children. He doesn't have grandchildren. Uh He expects us to mature on the milk of the word and grow. And those who don't eventually will fall away. If they do not bear fruit and bear much fruit. Let's stop here at verse 27. Lord, give us wisdom, give us spiritual understanding and practicality in the world we live in. In Jesus' name, amen.